years ago, there was a man named Ling who lived in a remote area of China, many miles from the nearest hospital. And what made life especially difficult for him was that he had gone blind. Even though it was a long, difficult journey, when word reached him that there was an eye specialist with a new procedure that might help him see again, Ling decided that he would go and visit this doctor. So the hospital staff was amazed when one day this blind man showed up at their door and they learned that he had made this difficult journey all on his own. They didn't waste any time. And that afternoon, the physician examined him and then surgically was able to remove the cataracts from both of his eyes. And when the time came to remove his bandages, the physician and staff all gathered around, eagerly watching as the cloth was slowly removed from his face. And for the first time in many years, a flood of light and colors penetrated his senses as he looked upon the face of his doctor. His pilgrimage for sight, though, had ended, but the story didn't. He left the hospital, and yet he remembered the miracle of new sight. Over the next several months, the hospital continued on helping villagers as they were able, and one day that eye doctor looked out of his window and noticed something very strange. Not very far off, he counted 48 men approaching the hospital compound, walking in single file. Each man was tied by rope to the one in front of him, walking in single file. It turned out that these men had traveled 250 miles through rough terrain, dense visitation, to come to that hospital. And at the front of that line was Ling, who it turned out was the only one of them that could see. He had led 47 blind men through a difficult journey with the hope that they might see again also. Scripture says that we too were blind, but now in Christ we see. And because we see, like Ling, We are to help others discover for themselves the light of God's love. Not only that, it says, spiritually we were dead, but in Christ we are now alive. And because we live, we are told that we are to share that message of life with others. It says we were lost, but now in Christ we're found. And because we are found, we are called to follow the path of our Savior who came to seek and to save those who are lost. In John 10.10, Jesus said that he came so that we might have life and have it to the full, or to have it abundantly. The word abundance literally means to have an excess, over and above, to be overflowing with something. A form of the word is found in Ephesians 3.20, where Paul says, He, God, is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It's a word that would be used to describe a stream or a river after a big rain when there's so much water that the banks of the river can't hold it anymore and it overflows the bank. And Jesus said he came that we might have that kind of life, abundant life. It doesn't mean an end to our struggles or our problems, but he wants to give us so much of himself that these bodies cannot contain it and it naturally bubbles out. We can't keep it to ourselves. So much of himself that in John 7, 38, he says, streams of living water will flow from within us. 
So much of himself that Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance or the overflow of our hearts, our mouths will speak. So why are we so shy or hesitant, perhaps even reluctant, to talk about him with others? The message of the cross cannot bring hope to others unless we, the people of God, take time to communicate it. As Romans 10, 14 says, how can people have faith in the Lord and ask him to save them if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? The spread of the gospel should be by intent, not just by chance. It should be natural, not accidental. We are to be intentional about telling others about this life that we have discovered. And it's this telling that the book of Acts is all about. It's a record of how the church began to fulfill the great commission to go into the entire world and make followers of the Lord. Above all else, the book of Acts is a book about missions. We and the world cannot afford to forget where we came from. The church was born out of mission. Mission is not accidental. It speaks to purpose, to being deliberate, to being sent, to being intentional. Deliberately going out to tell others about the love of God and the life he offers in Christ. And by missions, I'm referring both to the more narrow definition of those who are specifically set apart and sent out to tell people about Christ, but also the more general and inclusive sense, which says we, every believer, is called and sent out to be on mission wherever we are. Not just overseas, but in the classroom and the boardroom and the store and the neighborhood. From its inception, we see that the church is born out of mission. When Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and that power, he says, will enable you to be my witnesses. It not only marks the church's beginning, but it defines the church's mission. And what follows in Acts, as we've been talking about these past weeks, is an account of how God enabled and empowered his people to begin to fulfill that mission which is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to tell others. And so for the first half of Acts, you see there is really no plan, no organized effort to go out. It kind of happens spontaneously out of the overflow of the joy and new life in Christ. They were excited about it, about how their lives were different because of him, and they naturally wanted others to hear It was spontaneous. It was that abundant overflow. And if you think about it, doesn't our own experience tell us that whether it's sports or music or food or whatever, when you're excited about something, you want to talk about it. You know, Facebook pages are filled with people constantly updating them with pictures of what they're doing or what they're eating so others can see it. They want to share it. Websites like Yelp Give customer reviews so they can share testimony of their experience. It seems like whenever I buy something now online, I get an email asking me to rate or give a review or give my testimony about what I thought. Personal testimony, talking about your own experience, remains one of the greatest ways to get a message across. Dr. Glaze, who is 
her seminary professor of missions at New Orleans Seminary, former missionary himself, said, missions enthusiasm is caught before it's taught. I've sometimes likened it to a good case of the measles. If you have it, you're going to spread it. If you don't have it, you don't. And that's primarily how people heard about Jesus in Acts chapters 2 through 12. Even when life was rough and dangerous and believers were persecuted, Acts 8, 4 says, those who had been scattered preached the word or talked about Jesus wherever they went. The word for preached is the word evangelize, which simply means to announce or to talk to others about good news in Jesus Christ. Those who had been scattered naturally talked about it, even though they were running away from persecution. And while it was through the working and direction of the Holy Spirit, from a human standpoint, everything through chapter 12 of Acts seems to have happened almost by happenstance. The Holy Spirit did his work almost in spite of people. So he comes on Pentecost. Believers just naturally start praising God in other languages. It draws a crowd. People are curious. People hear. And they believe. Peter and John going to the temple to worship. A crippled man stops them to ask for money, and instead, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they heal him. He starts dancing and praising God, which draws a crowd that want to hear and believe. The church is persecuted and driven out of Jerusalem, and people like Philip naturally talked about Jesus wherever they went, more people heard, and more people believed. Saul, who was a major religious figure in charge of hunting down and stopping this new Christian faith, is suddenly converted and immediately starts preaching that faith he tried to destroy. That change makes major headlines, and people want to hear what happened. More people hear and believe. Peter talks with a Roman army officer, his family and his friends about the Lord. They believe the gospel, and it's now open for the world to hear and believe. And in each case, there's no plan, there's no method, there's no training program or class to take so that they could get it right. People are simply talking about something that's going on in their life. Isn't that what we should be doing also? Simply talking about who Jesus is, what he means to us in the course of our lives. Sharing God's love with those we meet. However, for the church to fulfill Christ's call to bear witness to the ends of the earth, more than that's needed. There needs to be a priority to go with purpose and intentionality to those who otherwise might not have an opportunity to hear. And that's where the work of Paul comes into view as we come to chapter 13 of Acts. It begins a new section in the book, which really runs through the end of the book of Acts. Because up to this point, the entire focus had been on Peter, the church of Jerusalem, the spread of the gospel among the Jews, and spilling over onto others. And there's almost a begrudging acceptance whenever the gospel reaches someone that wasn't a Jew. But beginning in chapter 13... The focus shifts from Peter to Paul, from Jerusalem and the Jews to Gentiles and the larger world. With the ministry of Paul, intentional missions and evangelism to people other than Jews comes to the fore. 
It really begins in Acts chapter 11, though, verse 19, which says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of the Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. And when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw this evidence of God's blessing, and he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul, And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people, for it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Then Luke picks up again in chapter 13, which states, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off, and missions becomes intentional. It was as the believers encountered God in worship, though, that the Holy Spirit spoke to them and instructed them to... Be intentional about their witness. Set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. Send them out with the express purpose of telling others about the Lord. Fulfilling, in other words, the words of Jesus in Acts 1.8 to be his witnesses, not just in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but now to the ends of the earth. But it all started in worship. It all started in prayer. Because these are the things that make us sensitive to the things that God cares about. And scripture is very clear that God cares about people. So much so that he gave his own son to save us. Encountering God in worship is not primarily for the purpose of making us feel good. Or to amuse and entertain. Or even to recharge our batteries for the week ahead. Those may be byproducts, but worship ushers us to God's presence where he shares himself and his heart. Through it, the Holy Spirit begins to help us care about the things God cares about. And foremost among these is his desire for people to know him. It's in worship that a mission mindset is born. It's very similar, if you think about it, to the experience of Isaiah the prophet. In Isaiah 6, it says, when he was in the temple worshiping, that he had this vision of the presence of God, and when he saw God high and exalted, when he heard God ask, who shall I send, who will go for me? Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And setting aside or apart Barnabas and, sending, and Paul and sending them out, the church at Antioch had the distinction of becoming the first congregation with a global mindset. The first one intentionally setting out to tell non-Jews about God. They became the primary catalyst and center for evangelism in missions. They became the first mission-sending congregation. 
And they became the model for missions of intentionally sending people out to tell. Not by accident, by, by intent. The church is born out of mission, and it began a tremendous period of expansion. And if sometimes if we don't have a burden for people, maybe we need to encounter God in worship and come before him in prayer, just as the people of God did then. But not only was the church born out of missions, God commissions us to be on mission. The commission also came through worship and prayer. The Holy Spirit said while they were together, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to do the work for which I have called them. It's a commissioning. You can't leave God's presence without being changed in some way, without being touched in some way, which is why worship calls for a response. Saying, here am I, God. Use me. Send me. Change me in some way. And the commission here was twofold. It was both corporate and personal. Corporate in that the message from the Spirit was first and foremost addressed to the church, not to the individual. Paul and Barnabas were the ones to be sent out, but they didn't initiate it. God did through the church. Church, set apart these people for the work I have for them. That is a major responsibility of congregations, to affirm God's call so people aren't taking off and going in their own direction. It was here, though, through the commissioning process of setting apart and sending out that the church and the people at Antioch we're answering God's call to join him on missions by making it a part of their own. The people of God were the Thruans through whom the Spirit spoke. They were called to support the effort. It wasn't just Paul and Barnabas going, so they didn't have to. It was them supporting Paul and Barnabas in the mission itself. John MacArthur said, there is much truth in the humorous adage that some people make things happen, others watch things happen, And still others are left wondering what happened. And what's true of individuals is also true of churches. Some churches are dynamic, aggressively reaching out with the gospel to make an impact on the world. Some know God is moving in other churches and wonder why they aren't experiencing that power. And still others just barely exist, languishing while the spiritual and maybe even physical weeds grow. They make an impact only on their own members' social lives. When we encounter God... We're called to respond to his invitation to join him in what he's doing, whether it's overseas or it's in our own neighborhoods. He commissions us, calls us to be set apart, and sends us out to others. The church is not only born out of missions, it's commissioned to be on mission. Without both, we don't survive. But commission is also personal. Paul and Barnabas were the ones set apart to go out. They were following the pattern God himself set. God intentionally sent his own son, who Jesus referred to being sent by God, sent to seek and to save the lost, sent to bring abundant life, sent to bring light, sent to fulfill the law, sent to bear witness to the truth, sent to do the Father's will, and of course, sent to give his life for the world. And he says, join me. God didn't hope that somehow people would wander in someday looking for him. He sent his people out searching 
to seek and to save. The gospel is the intentional witness of God in Christ by his people, not just organizations. Jesus then calls people to follow him, and he trained them, and he equipped them, and he commissioned them to continue the work he sent. As the Father sent me, now I'm sending you, he said. He commissions us. Then he says, you are going to be my witnesses. You go and make disciples of all nations. You continue the work. God continues to commission people and send us out. What is God commissioning you to do? Because he calls all of us to serve. How do you respond? In a book titled, Let Me Command, W.A.E. Sangster wrote, the easiest way to embarrass a congregation of 20th century Christians is to ask them two simple questions. When is the last time you personally led another person to Jesus Christ? And when was the last time you even tried? If we were asked that, how would we answer? The church is born out of mission. He commissions us to be on mission. But that requires of us, I don't usually do this, but a third word, submission. All these words, mission, commission, submission, have the word mission in them. Will we submit to God? I know that's not a very popular word today. It grates against us. But every day you submit to others, your boss. Tomorrow's tax day, you submit to your government, hopefully, by paying your taxes, your friends or family. To submit simply means yielding or setting aside your own desire for the sake of someone else. In this case, for the sake of your creator and savior. Missions isn't just for a select few. It's for all of us to become intentional about following God and telling others about him. Each of us who believe in Christ are told to be his witnesses. And the church has a part of that simply in sending out and setting apart. It doesn't let people off the hook saying, well, they'll go for you. But we need to submit to him also. We submit when we take the time and make the effort to talk to those we come into contact with wherever we are. And there may be people in your own life that God is calling you to simply talk to. Tell them what God's doing in your life, what he means to you. Tell them simply who Jesus is. Someone has said the fundamental motivation for evangelism is generosity. The basic human concern to share good things in life with those we love. It does not reflect a desire to sell or to dominate. It arises from love and compassion on the part of those who have found something wonderful and want others to share its joys. It is, as the old adage has it, like one beggar telling another where to find bread. Submission is seen through things like our financial support for those who do go. That's why we take missions offering. That's why part of our budget is set aside to support missions. Because not all of us can go elsewhere. Even though we're on mission and where we are, we recognize there are people in other parts of the world that need to hear. Submission is seen in our willingness to pray for those who go. For those they're going to. For those who need to hear. Submission is seen in our own going to our co-workers and our neighbors, and our family. 
Submission is seen maybe in us going beyond that, whether for long or short-term mission project, maybe a volunteer mission project. We have 10 from this church who will be going to Taiwan in a couple months. Submission is seen in a willingness to go, not to Taiwan. What about a neighbor island next year or the mainland the year after that? Missions happens everywhere. The needs are all around us. And while it was Paul and Barnabas who were called and set apart, it didn't mean the rest of the church could now sit on the sidelines and watch them do the work. The church at Antioch continued to be involved through the ongoing support and contact and prayer and encouragement of these who went, but also of the people in Antioch that needed to hear. We are all called. The issue is really where are we called to? Where is your mission filled? Because missions really must be by intent and not just by chance. Our Father, we thank you that you had intent when Jesus came. He didn't just stumble upon us, but he came with a purpose. He came with the awareness that you were sending him to save us. May we have that same awareness, God, that you send us to others. Because you care, and ultimately, may we care as well, Father. We thank you for your mission that you call us to join in. We thank you now as we depart this place. May we be on mission for you wherever we go, we pray in Jesus' name.